welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. Matt. Mel. Carol's here, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, when should I jump in on this? Well, right. you just did. After, after everyone else? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're joined today by a special guest. Please welcome to the podcast, Will. Yay! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's here to share with us all of his various um, activities, shall we say? Oh, wow. I've had a busy week this week, to tell the truth. Oh, <laughs> but maybe I shouldn't go into too much detail about that. But can you guess which scene made me pick this episode? <laughs> mm. Is it the blowjob monologue at the end? I had to, yeah, I had to Google to figure out which episode that scene was in so I could pick it and get requests. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, you know how I've been saying that I saw some part of one episode and I didn't know where it was or what it was or I couldn't remember even anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now know what episode it was. Okay. <laughs> what did you see? I specifically started remembering having seen it um, from the time Al asked or demanded from Saul that he pay him five dollars oh. through to the end. Okay. <laughs> I I didn't remember the details exactly because I really had no idea what was going on when I saw it. I mean, I could guess, but. I didn't know the characters or anything else. It was totally out of context. But yeah. as I was watching, it's like, I've seen this before. So I know that's that's the part of Deadwood I had seen. Right. Interesting part to jump into. But there's one other, like, spoilery thing I, you said that you know. That was, um, that was back, um, uh, when that, Veronica Mars mm. got, got, uh, killed. Okay. I had been told that she was in it and that she got shot in the head. So are you, are you spoiler free from now on? Spoiler free. Oh no, I'm sorry. There is one more. There is one more. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, there is one more. I got spoiled this week. Oh, did you? By the DVD menu. <laughs> what, oh, what does it show? I, don't, I can't tell you. Whatever it's, it is, it must happen next episode. It's oh, later episode. Okay. But it was just okay. like you know how the DVD menu just plays. Like quick scenes, yeah, and it was just played like a quick scene, and I was like, oh. I, I was did, like, well, it was bound to happen. <laughs> I, did, I didn't see it, thankfully. Yeah. I don't know what she's talking about. I know, they okay. show somebody who hasn't been on the show yet. I guess that's not that big of a spoiler with this. Yeah. Well, you're using the Blu-ray set. Right. Yeah. I don't, they're using just the DVDs, so I don't think okay. that's on on their, their set. Okay. And I'm using Amazon. The Carnival... Season one DVD menus has a huge spoiler. Hmm. Oh, during, really? Yeah. That's which stupid. Which is really unfortunate. Mm. Yeah, the Babylon 5 DVDs have major spoilers all over them. I, but, I, wish, yeah. I wish that these DVD makers would be a little more considerate. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would buy well, this without having seen it first. Well, they always have to <laughs> put like the most exciting scenes, probably. That's what mm. they want to... But it's on the menu. You've already bought bought the thing. I know. Uh, I'm watching uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles along with Will and Matt, and uh, oh, yeah. they have to recap the entire premise of the show before every episode, as though we <laughs> don't know what it is now, by now. Agreed. 
They automatically start playing an episode when you put the DVDs in. I was so confused by that. I was like, how how do I get to the episode list? How do I tell which one I want? Oh, that's terrible. Well, that's that's for the uh, for the what we make podcast. Uh, yeah. Back to Deadwood. Will, are you a new v- viewer or a veteran? I'm a veteran. I've seen the uh, series once before. Uh, I remember it was about 10 years ago. A friend of mine asked me to be his roommate and move in with him, but he was too cheap to split cable, so we didn't have any TV. So I <laughs> used that time to watch shows that I had never seen before, and Deadwood was one of them, Dexter, Nip Tuck, shows like that. So I just got them one DVD at a time from Netflix. Good. Uh, do you have a specific character uh, that you like more than another one? Keeping in mind we're um, only up to episode 11. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I think back in the day I liked Calamity Jane the most, but now I'm really on board with Al Swearchen. 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 <laughs> Even though he was kind of gross, I, I just like listening to him talk. Yeah. Yeah. Agree on both counts. <laughs> Fascinating and gross. <laughs> well, we have a uh, Reader's Theater article today. Yay. Comes to us from my good friend Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. All right, so here we go. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, May 19th, 1877. July 14th, 1877, and July 27th, 1877. The streets of Deadwood are in deplorable condition. They need grading, draining, and macadamizing, both to facilitate locomotion and as a sanitive precaution against sickness and disease. The backyards, streets, and alleys of this town exhale an odor and present a sight to disgust. The least fastidiously inclined, and if the rubbish, filth, and decaying vegetation that has been accumulating in these byways now for almost a year, be not remedied within the city limits before the heats of summer come upon us, the result with so many people crowded together in so small a space between the abrupt hills may be pestilence. It will not be forgotten that smallpox, not of a virulent type, however, visited us last year. It may return this in a less mild form. Now, Only regularly constituted authorities can remove the evils I have mentioned, or prevent the calamities that may overwhelm us at any moment of the future. Action of some kind must be taken, and the easiest and best, and perhaps the only way out of the difficulty, is to incorporate. Too muchy-washy! Now that the gold dust has been reduced to $18 per ounce, would it not also be in order to reduce the price of washing to correspond? The prices charged by the Hoopkeys, Uenwas, and other enterprising firms of like ilk are so exorbitant that people of moderate means are unable to experience the luxuries of a clean shirt even once a week. There is no reason why washing cannot be done as cheaply here as at almost any other point. Wood can be had for the cutting, and water is as free as the air we breathe, so that there is nothing to import save starch and soap. We trust these knights of the wash tub will immediately call a meeting and place the price of a clean shirt within the reach of those not possessing bedrock claims. Josephine Amelia Silane, who recently graduated at the head of her class in the Rogers High School of Newport, is a colored girl, which shows that, though skins may differ, intelligence may be found in whites and blacks the same. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) 
that's nice of them. Just, isn't that isn't that nice? That, I guess, <laughs> that's pretty progressive for the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. I I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a horrible day. Uh, <laughs> um. Oh, I wanna I wanna see the the knights of the washtub. <laughs> uh, who are these knights? <laughs> Interesting. They call them hop keys. Back on Bonanza, way back when, their cook was, I believe, named Hop Sing. It made me wonder whether that was uh, a derogatory term of the time that was adapted for the the show. <laughs> Color girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's sad that that has to be pointed out, and it's not just taken as a fact. <laughs> yeah. And what was up with that too muchy washy? Like, what the <laughs> yeah. hell was up with that? That's a, uh, that's making fun of, uh, Chinese. Oh, I know it is, but like, like you know, that... why, like, why does it, like, just, it's, I know they used to, like, run a lot of laundromats and stuff, but what is that? I, did, I don't understand. Like, too so much it, washing? It, like, do, are, are they saying that the. It costs too much. T- too much, much, too too much to wash. Is that what that yeah. means? I think so. Too yeah. muchy washy. That's that what that means? I thought I thought it meant too much washing, and I was like, that doesn't no. make sense. Um, because they want to wash more, but it's too no, much. No, they're just overcharging. Those knights of the wash tub are overcharging. Yeah, and we can't afford to wear clean shirts in this smelly town. Sounds like a good excuse to me. Mm. Yeah, they were just, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff you still heard on TV, you know, well into the 60s and 70s, sometimes even later. This is episode 11 of season 1, Jules Boot is Made for Walking, written by Ricky J, directed by Steve Schill, original air date June 6, 2004. Ricky J is the actor who plays Eddie on the show. Who? The Ricky actor who plays Eddie. Yeah, who wrote the episode, he plays Eddie. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Not the only episode written by an actor on the show. Oh. I will teach you that. Will that happen much later when the actors have big heads and they're like, I could write an episode a la David Duchovny? <laughs> <laughs> no. Which uh, one is Eddie? Eddie um, Sawyer is Cy Tolliver's... Uh, oh, oh, Eddie. His, yeah. Okay. The, uh, the one who's going to help um, Joni. Yes. Mm. Yeah. At least that's his plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is morning. Al is telling Trixie that when he was buying horrors to bring out to Deadwood, a Chicago cop tried to extort $35 from him. So naturally, Al stabbed him. And that's what the warrant's about. <laughs> Had it coming. Yeah. That's stabbing people. Jeez, Al loves to complain. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I also have down here that, you know, Trixie really is his confidant. 
Mm-hmm. I honestly think she's tired of listening to him complain. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Like well, that's all he does. Like yes. like skipping ahead. That's all. That's all he wants a woman around for is just to like complain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fuck them, or complain while fucking them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't you do something nice with your ladies? Go on a picnic. Go on. Pick them out on a Aww. date, Al. <laughs> tri- tri- Trixie would appreciate that, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, later on, it definitely shows that he's, you know, he's jealous, and mm-hmm. definitely Trixie means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. In his own messed up way. She's the best listener. Because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't say anything. Yeah, that's what's why she's quiet the whole time. Mm. That other one was just too chatty. <laughs> well, <laughs> she spoke words. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yes now, and no. <laughs> now back in Chicago, do you think he stabbed that cop because back then he was more impulsive? Or was it just because he knew he was leaving town, so he didn't think that it would uh, it would follow him? Because my impression now is that Al would never just stab a guy because he asked him for thirty five dollars. Like that's so that would you know leave him with bags of shit to hold. To yeah. borrow his phrase from before. Well, yeah. he probably learned his lesson. Yeah, I assumed he did it because he thought he could get away with it. Wherever it happened, it was like an isolated place. And he thought no one was around or something. I don't know. The way he was talking, it sounded like it was the principle of the thing. But I agree with you that now he wouldn't do that. Not for $35. Yeah. I, well, he's got more money now. Yeah, he has more to lose <laughs> yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't have $35 back then. <laughs> I don't have $35, but I have this blade. <laughs> how much? I wonder how much it costs to buy a whore from that uh, whorehouse to bring them out. Mm. But he also was, I mean, didn't he, he did mention some amounts of money that were a whole lot more than $35 in that speech, didn't he? I'm trying to remember. In his uh, soliloquy later, he mentions how much money his mother gave him when he was a child. Right, that was $6 and yeah. something sense. Well, well, as Trixie's yeah. looking out the window, she's giving Al the, the rundown on the goings-on. Where everyone's going, Jules, Jules going down uh, the street. She's walking, making her way through the muck. Some of the hoople heads are mocking and laughing at her. That's the other thing uh, she's good for is being a uh, surveillance camera. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Trixie? Periscope. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Listening and being a surveillance camera. Yeah. Where did you guys think that Jules was going? I. I hope she had a friend she was going to go see, maybe. Yeah, I thought she was just going out for a sandwich or maybe like a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> or like uh I don't know, going some, for get some takeout. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like treat herself. She's going to get some uh Chinese food maybe. Get the munchies. <laughs> I don't know. And she fell down and no one helped her. No one helped her. Yeah. In fact, they stared while she <laughs> I don't know. Do, do they do they have a library in Deadwood? Maybe she was going to the library. She's going to return the book. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed um, when she fell, you could hear somebody say, watch your step there. It's kind of like an uncomfortable kind of like you didn't know what to do or whatever. <laughs> but that, I found that interesting that she knows how to read, you know. She oh, could yeah. have very well been, been illiterate. True. I, 
Because, did... I mean, would would people have had the patience to teach her how to read? Mm. Back, mm. You know? I wonder what the illiteracy rate was at this time. Yeah. <laughs> and if it was... 75%. 75? <laughs> You're just pulling that out. Yeah, just 90% of statistics are pulled out of somebody's ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there wouldn't have been... You know, she seems very smart, and she seems bright. So it would have been a matter of... I mean, teaching her to read wouldn't be a matter of patience so much as, as willingness. Because so many people who had disabilities were just kind of locked away. I could certainly imagine a scenario in which uh, an instructor was like, oh, I'm not going to waste my time with her. Yeah. She's, she may not live very long. She's all, you know, shaken yeah. and kind of like how the when in that episode of Mad Men where a guy got his foot run over by a yeah. lawnmower. Right. And they're like, well, his career's over. Yeah. Like, right. why? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. But that's how they feel. You got a disability. You're not worth even yep. the time it takes to teach you to read. Mm. Yep. And she takes, she does have a book. It's a book about the Civil War. She takes it to Doc's cabin. He doesn't need to read it because he was goddamn there. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, look in the, look in the book. It's a picture of a, of a leg brace. Maybe she doesn't know how to read. She just figured this, you know, saw the picture and figured out what it was. Mm. Yeah. I get this bionic leg. <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling that jo- Jewel probably has more education in some ways than a lot of the people there. Yeah. Is this when he says that the gentleman in the photo had full use of his limbs beforehand? Yes. Yeah, there, yeah so he has a, an advantage over her. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, he tells her that her dragging her leg is her limitation, and fuck Al, and don't apologize to him. What are you apologizing for? Mm-hmm. I love that he is both sweet and abrasive <laughs> all at the same time. Mm-hmm. What are you apologizing for? Don't apologize to me! <laughs> That's the charm of the dock. In the thoroughfare, men are loading crates off of a stagecoach, and Merrick is very excited to receive a delivery. It's an American optical back focus single swing with a Meyer Gorlitz Trio Plan 210mm lens. Oh, good. <laughs> I well, wish I was a photography nerd so I could laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> but as it stands, I don't know what that means. What that means? <laughs> it's a camera. Yeah. yeah. But why why say camera with one word when you can uh, say American optical back focus single swing with a Meyer Gorlitz trio plan do ten millimeter lens? Right. That that epitomizes that. <laughs> yeah. Did you have time to kind of guess what it might be before they opened it? It, it happens pretty fast. But was there? Did you expect I, it to be something else? No, I think I think I did think camera before they opened it. I was like, what could he be ordering? And then. Yeah, I'm like, what else would he need? <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of letting everything wash over me. So I just said, made some insightful comment in my notes like, oh, the newsman gets a camera. Eee. Makes sense. Yes. Now he needs to buy, or not buy, <laughs> hire a photographer. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, when I was just looking at my notes here, um, when Jewel was looking, was walking through the street, she really reminded me of what the Reverend has been looking like lately. Yeah. That's true. Oh, they'd be a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> they should have one of those uh, 24-hour dance-a-thons. Oh, no. <laughs> they can enter as a pair. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 All right, do the jitterbug. I see the Reverend and uh, Jewel of Ahead start. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, once once Jewel gets her uh, boot, she'll be dancing up a storm. Mm-hmm. Merrick references William Henry Fox Talbot. That was an English chemist who was the first to develop the photographic negative. Okay. I was wondering who that was. Yeah, one of the pioneers of photography. I find it humorous that Merrick is telling everyone to be so careful with the camera when he is the biggest klutz in the camp. That's why. <laughs> He's going to sneeze all over it. By the way, I just looked up the literacy rate in the USA in 1870, mm-hmm. and we were at 80% at that point. Wow. Huh. I'm good. guessing that a lot of that 80% was in cities. Yeah. Probably the little towns didn't even get Did pulled. they count everyone, though? Did they count, like... That's a good point. Was mm-hmm. there enough uh, data? Was it, was it just white people? Was it just white people, and, like, did they count, like, even, like, mentally disabled people or anything like that? I have no idea. Mm. I'm just looking at a chart here. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about education levels and so forth, so... I'm guessing it's probably huge gender inequalities and literacy rates. Modernization of the USA also brought down inequality between races. It's interesting to see how comparably well-educated the U.S. population was even in the 19th century. Compared to what? Europe? Compared to European countries. We're like the second highest literacy rate of all the countries that are on this chart. The Netherlands is the highest. Mm-hmm. But um, And then we come in second at that point. Yay, USA, USA. <laughs> now we're probably more like, you know, 25th or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You really get a sense of the population in these uh, first couple scenes, how crowded this camp has become. Mm-hmm. There are so mm-hmm. many extras in these scenes, yeah. filling what? every frame. wonder how much these extras get, get paid. I was an extra in a movie once. I got paid $75 for the day. Yes, you told us you burned an American flag. Oh, yeah, I did tell that story. It, it depends on if you're union or non-union. Mm-hmm. Stop repeating your stories. No, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> now, if you're union, you get paid uh, usually union minimum. And if you're non-union, well, that's a whole other thing. I think I got paid around $80 these times I was an extra, so, yeah. That's pretty good pay for the day. Yeah, yeah, because one time it was only about four hours. And the second time, it was about six hours. My extra work was so long ago that it was, with inflation and everything, it wouldn't mean anything. <laughs> it was it was pretty good money at the time. But I was working union. Breakfast at Mr. Farnham's Absurd Restaurant. Joni mm-hmm. tells Charlie she was finicky over the location of her brothel because she was uncomfortable with the financial backing. But a new way has opened up, meaning Eddie's going to steal from Cy. So she, yeah. doesn't need, she doesn't need Cy's money because... Eddie's going to steal it and give size money to her. <laughs> I don't need size money because I'm going to steal size money. Exactly. Sounds like a plan. It's time to sink a few shafts into the Garrett claim, so Ellsworth feels his usefulness is at an end, but Alma says she wants him to stay on and supervise. She feels he's an honorable man, and he's just going to say this once. He knows he's too damn old for her. <laughs> you got to try. you got to try at least. <laughs> I, I love these two together, these platonic friends. Um, well, he didn't want it to stay platonic right there. I don't, <laughs> well, know. I, think he, I don't think he meant it that way. I think he's just like... No, he was throwing it out. He's like, yeah, you know, if, if you're into it, I'm up for it, but you probably not, are not into it, right? Right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> but they never got a chance to finish that thought and didn't go back to it this entire episode. True, maybe so, she's totally into it. Yeah. She she definitely is flirting with him. 
But really? I, I didn't get that. Well, with the hand on the on the thing, and you know, in a in a very, she's keeping him at arm's length while also still like flirting with him. So Alma's worth anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Almsworth? <laughs> yes, Almsworth. <laughs> I just, I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably pretty much the way she's been trained to handle men. You know, you're, you're charming. You, you make them like you while also keeping them far enough, at arm's length enough that they can't really say that you gave them the wrong idea. It felt just like a an affectionate friendship moment. Mm-hmm. It didn't, and, and I didn't get a sense that she was um, that there was anything going on under the surface, other than I'm so happy that you're my ally in this mm-hmm. because I'm, you know, how alone she must feel, yeah, surrounded by all these men, and and so she's just very grateful. And as I've said before, I love unlikely friendships. And the show has so many of them. When we had Alma and Trixie, two women of different classes, and we had now we have Ellsworth and Alma, Joni and Charlie, I, all these friendships. Uh, uh, oh, Trixie and Saul. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this show is seeing people from different backgrounds kind of work together toward common goals. Are oh. Alma and Trixie still friends? How do we leave that? Trixie hasn't been out of the gem since she went back. After she killed herself. So I don't think they've interacted since then. Yeah. I don't know if they were really ever friends so much as allies, but... I didn't get, like, a... Even if Ellsworth may have been like, oh, hey, like, whatever. I didn't get, like, a creepy vibe from him at all. Like, a creepy, like, old man, like... (laughs) Kind of vibe. (laughs) (laughs) He's way too shy and and sweet to be creepy. He said he he made a pass in a defeatist with a defeatist tone. <laughs> yeah, he might sound like you're an expert. <laughs> he he oh, let God. her know that you know he he found her interesting and attractive and. I'm an expert at expecting to be turned down and then having my my, my feelings uh, uh validated on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you get validation. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I was right. I am a loser. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> we hear a man yell, Button! And mm. uh, now we meet Otis, Alma's father. The dad from Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's such a sitcom actor. Yeah. He's been he's been on so many things. He was on Briscoe. Yes, playing this exact Playing this exact character, I think. <laughs> Uh, no good swindler. What'd you guys think of Otis? Immediate, immediate impressions. Hated him. <laughs> I cannot not see him in a sitcom role. I don't know. He just this is a you know mostly a, a drama series. I, I'm curious to see how he's going to do with some of these more dramatic scenes. I've seen him in lots of stuff. I think I've seen him probably in as much. Actually, no wait. Wasn't he? Uh, wasn't he the racist dad in American History X? I think he may have been. Yeah. Okay. Well, if he can handle that, then he should be able to handle this. <laughs> William Russ, right? Mm-hmm. I always felt that he was too young to be her father, but he's twenty-one yeah. years older than Molly Parker, so wow. that's that makes sense. And probably at the time, 
Yeah. People really had children young, so it it works. It's just he he really looks young. Yeah. yeah. I thought the same thing. I was like, "What?" He's... Or she looks older. Well, her costuming does not help. It makes it I think her tight bodice and black garments age her up. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Makes her look dowdy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at his um IMDb page and he he has been on everything. Mm-hmm. He's been on every drama, every yeah, he's been on a lot of dramas. Vinci's Inquest? <laughs> no. <laughs> Still don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean everything from stuff like Nash Bridges and uh there you have your American History X, I just found that, to the NCISs and the CSIs and JAG and NYPD Blue and Without a Trace and Numbers and, you know, Boston Legal. He was on 20 episodes of The Young and the Restless before he was recast. <laughs> recast? What did he play? He played Catherine Chancellor's son, Tucker McCall. <laughs> I've watched a lot of Young and the Restless. What? It's my soap. It. It's my soap, yeah. yeah. Nice. I was a Days fan, but when I was still living at home, my mom would watch it, and I would end up seeing it that way sometimes. Amazing. <laughs> I love that you guys are, like, watching soaps. It's great. <laughs> the pest tents are being dismantled. Andy Crame speaks to the Reverend and confesses that he wound up at Dice at Gayville in Elizabethtown. Then he asks for the Reverend's help praying, but the Reverend's a touch spacey right now. He's, uh... He starts praying, and he's like, and eh, I forget the rest. Yeah. But, but did his face when he asked him, hey, would you help me pray? The Reverend was like, oh my god, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I am totally into this. Yep. Yeah, so he's got a dice problem. I assume that's going to come back. It looked like the Reverend was holding his crotch at first when he was talking. I was like, wait, does he have some kind of infection or something? But I don't think he's going that far where he's, like, sleeping around with whores or something like that. I don't think he's too far away from that, though. No, his arm's <laughs> just stuck in that position. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be the worst position to have your arm stuck You're in? always holding your crotch. Okay, so now I'm just imagining Jewel um, <laughs> walking up to him and putting, like, a book in his hand. and like, here, hold that book in front of your crotch. So no <laughs> he looks like a schoolboy trying to hide his boner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm picturing now. Maybe maybe his condition uh, makes it so that he has a constant boner. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> My arm's not the only thing that's stiff. <laughs> Gross. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the Reverend? We'll be coming back to him. Yeah. yeah. At the gem, Dan is jealous how quickly Al warmed up to Silas, the bagman from Yankton. It's the Titus Welliver character. EB says the affection is counterfeit, and right then Silas comes in sporting a new haircut. Silas reveals that only the magistrate knows about the warrant, and Al says he'll pay Silas $2,000 to kill the magistrate and squash the warrant. Not a lot of money now, but it'll open the door to much more. Oh, and Jules knocked up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Why did she go for that excuse? I love that. It kind of shows that she's not as stupid as people think she is. It's her gimp sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought she was really funny. Like I, I did too. I thought it was a real funny crack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Al knows very well how smart she is. He's making excuses though, isn't he? Like to well, make he, her seem like she's, you know, like people think she's stupid. He he puts her down, but he puts everybody down. But it's the same kind of, almost the same kind of thing that uh, Leon was doing after Sai had that talk with him about the Chinese. Leon went overboard a little bit to kind of be like, oh, the Chinese, they're not yeah. even people. 
you know, well, it's this kind yeah. of same thing too. Yeah. Hmm. Way overboard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the people closest to Al seem a lot more capable and trustworthy than the people close to Sai. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Joni is capable, and so is Eddie, but they are also working against Sai. Yeah. Whereas well, everyone, like Dan and, well, Johnny's not very smart, but certainly oh. Silas and Dan are, are very capable and seem trustworthy. I think that Al is a bit more fair than Sai is, though, which makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And I think he's less moody. He gets moody this episode, but he's also drinking a lot yeah. toward the end. Yeah. Whereas Sai is just uh, so high strung. Yeah. Very moody. You also get the feeling violent. that... Violent, yeah. Yeah, you get the feeling that with Al, it's business. Everything is business. With Sai, you get the feeling that it, there's a mean streak yeah. running through him. I mean, the thing with Joni wasn't just business, but, you know, the rest of it. Do you think uh, Silas is going to kill the magistrate? Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no? Think so. You don't think so, Matt? Yeah, I, he probably will. I don't see why not. I mean, I thought about whether he could, you know, do a double cross, but I don't see what that would get him really. Mm. He seems to he seems to be pretty clear that the magis he doesn't care for the magistrate. I mean, if he goes to the magistrate and says, "Hey, Al just offered me two thousand dollars to kill you," what's that really going to get him? Mm-hmm. No, the magistrate might have three thousand dollars. <laughs> Yeah, he might have 3000 and say, you know, okay, now go kill Al, but is he really going to be able to kill Al? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a big difference between killing that magistrate and trying to do Al in. Yeah. Can he lie about killing the magistrate? And take half of the, or take the, I guess he could take all the money. No, I, don't, I think proof, he's too, he? I think he's too, yeah, he needs proof. And he's too, this guy's too smart. Yeah, and the whole point of him taking the 2000 to kill him was future business with Al. Yeah. And yeah. Al's going to know pretty quickly if that warrant is still out there or if the magistrate isn't dead. Plus he cut his hair. So uh, I think he's I think he's working for Al. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems to be working for Al. You got Al- your haircut, that means you belong to me now. <laughs> yeah. Al doesn't Al doesn't allow hippies to work for him. <laughs> yeah. Although, doesn't Dan have long hair? He does. Yeah. Let me just read this information about Yankton, since this is the town where the magistrate is based, and this is where Silas keeps kind of going back and forth. He goes from Deadwood to Yankton, and Al says you can make money going back and forth between these two towns. So, the Dakota Territory was absolutely dependent for all its revenues on theft from the Indians. There were no crops that you could rely on because Dakota was too far north until the 1880s when Seth Bullock introduced alfalfa as a crop. The money that came into the Dakotas was for the Indian agencies. The Sioux, for example, were given more than one million to move from Minnesota, and that money was administered by Indian agents. And that was a million dollars right there that they stole. Yankton, the capital of the Dakota Territory, was the base of the Indian agencies. It was the governmental bureaucracy, with all that implies. When Deadwood came into being, it threw everything off. Provided with abundant source of economic security, of which every man could partake, the Black Hills settlers and miners had returned to the traditional distrust of government and renewal of pride and self-sufficiency, which the oligarchy in Yankton had never endorsed. Mining was the real industry as opposed to this sterile instrument of suppression, this paper fiction, whose only real use was to steal from the Indians. What was called the Yankton mob kept trying to figure out ways to bring Deadwood under control. 
so they're the center of power. That's where the money goes from the government. And Yankton's trying to get these, uh, these Deadwoodites under their thumb, and Deadwood is resistant. That's, that's the friction between these two towns. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder how long it took to travel from Deadwood to Yankton, because it's about 400 miles. Probably a few days. And I see Gayville is very close to Yankton, places where, what's his name, it been? Yeah, I think probably a few days, right? Or maybe a few weeks. People must have been terrible farmers. Because, I mean, it's not, like, you can grow food in Canada, for crying out loud, and that's more far north than North Dakota. Well, but Black Hills are almost like, they're right next to the Badlands. Have you ever seen pictures of the Badlands? No. Well, maybe, but I don't remember. I've I've been to the Badlands. Yeah. It's, it's not a place where you can grow or do anything. Is it like... Land around there that's like that. Is it very dry? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now the Black Hills themselves, they've got trees on them, but it's not really farming land. Yeah. So what made it so that alfalfa could grow there? I wonder. Must have been a, a crop that was easy to grow in that kind of environment. Hmm. And that's. In didn't need a lot. I'm guessing it doesn't need a lot of water. Well, the Badlands, a lot of rocky formations, so I yeah. guess alfalfa can take root in that kind of soil. Mm, they probably ate all kinds of alfalfa sprout sandwiches. <laughs> mm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Delicious. I, I always got uh, alfalfa uh, when I went to a salad bar. I'd always put that on my salad. I love it. It's good on subs. Yeah. It says that alfalfa is a cool season perennial, commonly grown for feeding livestock or as a cover crop and soil conditioner, source of nitrogen. It's good for improving the soil. Oh, cool. And providing erosion control. So it might have been that when he introduced alfalfa, it was able to make the soil better. Better so that something else could be grown there. Plus you can, you can also eat it. And I think people use it to feed uh, livestock too. Yeah, that's what it said. And, oh. you know, I was thinking, okay, then that would help with cattle ranching or whatever. There's a herd of buffalo that live in, in uh, Black Hills at this point. Titus Wolliver, who plays Silas, says, What Adams identifies with in Swearingen is that he is a big thinker. He sees a guy who's going someplace, and he wants to be part of that. Adams is more of an observer than anything else. He hangs back. He's not demonstrative as the other characters in the town, but he knows that he'll learn something from Swearingen. Swearingen's really the only person Adams defers to at all. What he sees in Swearingen is that above and beyond all this murder and treachery and disassembling, there is a greater purpose. Mm. He's like the kingpin, <laughs> working for uh, to better his town. Hmm. Doesn't he say that at one point in this episode? That he, what, has lofty goals of something? Yeah. Mm. Working better the t- I don't remember. He may, he may have said that to Seth at some point. That sounds yeah. like something he would have said. Yeah, it might have. I'm trying to remember. It seemed, it, it rang a bell. I have this memory that he said something to Seth like, okay, let's put the business of Brom Garrett and the gold claim behind us because I'm looking toward the future and I want you to kind of like partner with me. And I think they, that's where they kind of came to an understanding. I don't remember what episode that was though. Probably after Seth came back from the whole Jack McCall thing. Yeah, but it was also very much a, 
it seemed like it was very much a you stay in your side of these situations and I'll stay on my side and, you know, don't cross me. But now they seem to be getting along better. Yeah. Where one of them clenches his teeth every time he's talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> in Alma's hotel room, Otis makes a joke like, I always knew it and like this, that you would be caring for a square head girl in a mining camp. <laughs> this is when Alma shows him the gold. He tells her that there's talk in New York that she did Brahm in. She tells him that while Bill introduced her to Mr. Bullock, Otis would like to meet this Mr. Bullock. As soon as he washes up, she's like, Oh, Daddy, that giant rock with the gold flakes in it? You seem to be leaving with it. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Here you go, darling. Oops. I didn't see that as anything sinister at first. I thought he no. g- genuinely just forgot. Yeah. No, I did. Because... Her whole thing about when she was talking about how basically her dad sold her off to Brom to pay his debts. I was thinking a lot about that when, whenever he was on screen. Mm. So, um, so that kind of colored everything I was seeing with him and the whole thing with the gold. Definitely I saw as, okay, he's, he's up to, you know, tricks. And she was she was so ready for him to be carrying the gold out with him. The look on her face and the whole body and everything else was just like, yeah, Dad, I know your tricks. Bring it back. <laughs> I also wondered, how do other people feel? Do you think that people are actually suggesting that she killed Rom back in New York? Or do you think he's just being, he's stirring the pot? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I believe that part. I don't... Yeah, I can see people thinking that. Yeah, I can too. There was no TV back then. Mm-hmm. All people had to do was gossip. You gotta make up your own stories. That's right. Mm-hmm. Your own soap operas. Um, the way he said uh, Seth's name. Bollock. Yeah, he said yeah. Bollock. <laughs> Mr. Bollock. <laughs> I think he did that on purpose. Maybe. What are Bollocks again? That's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Nutsack. <laughs> 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 There's also a moment where he pulls a like a quarter or something from behind Sophia's ear, oh, which yeah. makes the girl like giggle, and and Alma has this look like he's ingratiating himself into uh, her life, and all, I'm sure all she's thinking about is this is a guy who is very congenial, but he always wants something, uh-huh. and he's yeah. come to take. And I just, I don't want him here, and I don't want him in Sophia's life. Mm. Because he might hurt her the way he hurt me. This is all sort of going across Alma's face in like half a second. Yeah. Rolling her eyes would have been within her way of doing anything. She would have been rolling her eyes at that point. It's just the look on her face was just like, oh no. She's seen all of this stuff before. Yeah. Charlie's at the number 10 saloon telling Tom not all that he needs to separate his stovepipes from his walls or put sheet metal in between because he doesn't want to see the camp go up in flames on, on his watch as fire marshal. Con Stapleton wants to know why there isn't a sheriff and suggests that maybe he should be sheriff because he'd be super awesome at taking bribes to overlook fire code violations. This guy. <laughs> My reaction was, who is this guy that we've seen him before? <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Oh, you, did you not remember him? I didn't remember him, no. I remember that name now that you've said it, but I don't. I didn't remember his face. I remember his face, but I I couldn't remember exactly what he had done. You know, him being. I knew he'd been around, but I couldn't remember when. 
we've mostly have only seen him at the poker table where yeah. he played poker with a wild bill and Jack McCall. Yeah. When Seth said, yes, I, I know you, you were with wild Bill Hickok. Those dates seem so long ago. <laughs> was he was the one that, uh, you know, was shot like grazed on the wrist or something, wasn't he? No, that was a different guy. Yeah. Different guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. There was a real con Stapleton who became sheriff for a little while in the in the complicated timeline of who was sheriff or town marshal. He was, I think he was well, was he ta- town marshal or sheriff? Either way, he was 31 years old in like 1880, so a lot younger than this guy. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Charlie doesn't seem like happy at all with the job that he got. Like it's making him gr- really grumpy. Like, grumpier and grumpier with each episode. Yeah. He likes to be liked by people. So, yeah, so that's yeah, the thing. He everybody hates him. Yeah. You know, some people, like, really get a kick out of power. Mm, not and him. Charlie's never struck me as somebody like that. No. And the only thing about Fire Marshal is that you keep, that either you're in it for being able to tell people what to do, or you're in it to keep the town from burning down. Yeah. And if you're in it to keep the town from burning down, the fact that people don't like you for it is just an aggravation. Hmm. It's kind of like being the parking ticket guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Jay? Maybe he's mad because his buddy's gone. Yeah, he doesn't have any friends left, really. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's making friends with Joni, but it's not the same, and... No. It would be improper for him to, like, hang out with her. Where, what what happened to that walking club, anyways? Yeah. <laughs> it turned into a photography he, club. He needs he needs a hobby, so maybe yeah, <laughs> maybe they need to do a walking photography club, and they just need to all share the camera. Yeah, and just take nice nature photos or photos oh, I, of Edward. I don't think he's gonna give up that camera for anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a jerk. Nobody's going to touch that camera. Mm. No, Con Stapleton says, you know, this, this saloon's been fine going on two months now. Without a fire of <laughs> two months. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey. I would just, at that point, I'd Please. just be like, alright, alright, you, you then just Burn to the ground, fucker. <laughs> See if I care. But then other places around it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Build a moat around it. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but everything was right next to each other and, you yeah. know. Yeah. And they were all made of untreated wood that was just, a, it was a tinderbox. Aren't most of the trees in the area pine trees? Yeah. And isn't that a particularly flammable yep. type of wood? Seem to remember if I ever had to start a fire in the fire pit, and I have these pine resin sticks, they yep. go up right away. They're uh, if they're not pine, they're some something like pine. They're one of the the evergreens that are like that. And uh, yeah, everything would have been made out of, I'm sure, the local trees. And it's one of those areas where there's only one kind of tree. What Charlie needs to do is start an insurance company and start collecting uh, from all the business owners. So if their places go up in flames, they can uh, they can be covered. And then he can offer discounts uh, on insurance premiums if you put sh- uh, sheet metal 
<laughs> in between your stovepipe and the wall. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think Charlie really is that kind of businessman. Insurance <laughs> seems like something Al would get into. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Cy. Matt, you should have lived in those times. You would have made a. <laughs> I would have, yeah, I would have fit right in uh, with those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sorry to hear that. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Khan wants Tom to put in a good word with Al because Al Swearingen hates uh, hates Khan. He's <laughs> like, you're gonna have to suggest that I become sheriff because Al Swearingen hates me. Don't we all? You know, anyone that Al Swearingen hates, I feel like I could very well hate them too. <laughs> yeah, but who does he like? I don't know. I think you have to be like. I think you have to be a really cool person for Al to like you. I think he only likes. Uh, Trixie and maybe Dan. <laughs> no, I think he likes a lot of people, but he pretends not to like them. But this guy, you can tell he really hates them. <laughs> if if not like, then respect. Because yeah, later on, he exactly. tells us that he respects Seth. Yeah, Khan exactly. is such a yeah, a, you yeah. know, yeah, douchebag. Exactly. He definitely has. A hierarchy of, you know, if he respects a person, they're up pretty high on the, on his list of, of people to deal with. It's hard to tell the difference between that and like, but, uh, yeah, definitely. Leon recaps the last episode to Sai. Sai thinks feeding Jimmy irons to woo is a hell of a way to treat a white man, don't you think? A hell of a way to treat a white man? And Leon's like, yeah, yes. <laughs> Sai's like, yes, of course you think that. Now go spread that opinion around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so (laughs) racist. Everyone is entitled to my opinion. (laughs) I I thought that was so random of Sai to do that. I was like, so, yeah, why don't you do that yourself? But I guess maybe it's not the same. Doesn't look good. Yeah. No, it's exactly what Al had been afraid that he would do. It's exactly what Al said he was going to do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he predicted it. Yep. And that's why Sai's guy didn't get killed. Al's guy got killed. Mm-hmm. And why Al did it instead of letting Wu do it. Why Al did it in front of witnesses so they can't say that the someone Chinese killed the guy. Mm-hmm. So Sai has bought property in Chinatown and now he's going to drive the Chinese out. Yep. Except that he wants the Chinese because they're degenerate gamblers. <laughs> the, most, the most degenerate of all the races. But are they not, aren't they not allowed in his establishment? Um, I'm guessing he's going to make a import Chinese gambling emporium just for them. <laughs> Maybe. Ridiculous. I hope he dies. He can, he can drive them out of, he can drive them out of that section into a less, desirable area so that he can, you know, have his have his stuff where he wants it. I hope he dies. He may not have a long-term strategy. It may just be he's a very hateful, spiteful person with, and he's, this is what he's doing. This is his mode now. His anti-Chinese mode. I hope he it backfires and he dies. And he dies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him either. Mm. I got the feeling he's around for a while. Ugh. Don't say that. Sorry. I want I want him out by the end of the season. Is, he, is he number one on your on your hit list? Yes. <laughs> number one. Do you have a number two? Huh? 
uh, Matt Humphrey. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I knew it. <laughs> In oh, Al's office, Tom tells Al it's inevitable Constableton will be sheriff. And Al is like, when did this become inevitable? <laughs> Tom confesses he feels like the camp is getting away from him and he doesn't know anyone now, but he knows Khan. You know, the devil you know. This is so stupid. Like, I kind of, he's not my friend, but I know him, you know, so whatever. I, oh, God, I wanted to slap that guy. <laughs> and I, I, don't under, I don't understand why Al is, like, indulging him here. They have a history, don't they? Don't they? Yeah, what else is he supposed yeah. to say? No. <laughs> what, what are they going to do about it? I think because it just doesn't cost Al. It, it doesn't cost Al anything to give the guy what he wants. Mm-hmm. And then the guy owes him. It establishes, you know, that Al is the power broker. So, yeah. You know. If Al was going to appoint someone sheriff, it would probably would have been better for Dan. Yeah. 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 Dan would make a better sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than the fact that he's Al's designated assassin, I mean, you know, he's, he'd make a good sheriff. And I'm thinking that Dan would command respect in the camp, whereas Khan, I yeah. think people would not respect him. And in any case, Al says, fine, he can be sheriff and he can be sworn in, but don't expect me to attend. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I don't know how this guy is going to tell Charlie Utter not to back off on the fire marshal stuff. I That is like, really? <laughs> I don't think that's going to work out well. Charlie can't be bought. I don't think he can be bought or intimidated. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, he's got friends and stuff who definitely will not be intimidated. He could make Charlie's job as fire marshal so difficult and annoying that he Charlie quits and just says, you know what, this is not worth the hassle. Mm-hmm. At the hardware store, Trixie offers Saul a free fuck. Her cherry is obstructing her work. What's that mean? <laughs> I love this. I love <laughs> What does that mean? I have a guess, but... Well, I think that it means that she can't she can't get her mind off of Saul and screw other fuck. men. Yeah. So so yeah, her her nethers have a mind of their own. Her nethers. <laughs> <laughs> um but when he goes to kiss her, he has a menacing kiss face. It's like No, he was I'm gonna kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just because you just watched that episode of X Files where he was like crazy, like <laughs> author, serial killer, whatever. Maybe, yeah. I'm still creeped out by him, yeah. by the actor. Yeah, maybe. No, he I closes think... the doors to the hardware store. He leads her to the back room. They start to fuck, but then Seth walks in. Uh, you remember Trixie? And Seth's like, "Yes, I just came for this." Okay, so goodbye. So awkward. <laughs> and she tells Saul to kiss her neck or tits if he wants to kiss something, but he says, no, I want to kiss you. Ooh. I, guys, this was super sexy. <laughs> it was Come very sweetsy. Yeah. I liked it. And I was, like, hoping, oh, we're going to, so we're seeing, like, uh, Saul and Trixie, are we going to see Alma and Seth? Like, is this going to be a super sexy... Is this going to be, like, the ultimate sexy episode? They're just both going to use the hardware store for... <laughs> yeah, the hardware store. Speaking of hardware. Ooh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, they need to build, like, a uh, an attic or something. 
a sexy attic. <laughs> <laughs> now, remember when they bought that land from Al Swearingen, Al said something like, no sex, sexy times in that store. I don't want any competition from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what he was talking about. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> At the swearing-in ceremony for Con Stapleton, A.W. Merrick takes a photograph of Con, Tom, Nuttall, and E.B., then Merrick wants to redo the photograph without Tom's putrid apron, and Tom says, <laughs> "No, let her drink." <laughs> Seth comes in, gets a couple shots of whiskey. I rewound this scene because I'm pretty sure he didn't pay for those. <laughs> I, I was wondering that myself. And then Merrick takes a candid shot with his uh, his camera, which I don't think you can do because if people are moving at all, it just turns out to be a blurry mess with those cameras, doesn't it? Pretty much, though. So if they if you had enough light, maybe. I don't know. It's not one of those cameras where you put your head underneath a black sheet. Mm. It's one step up from that. No. So it might be an improved camera. Mm-hmm. Head underneath the black sheet was so that you could actually see. Mm. I mean, this is an American optical back focus single swing with a Meyer Gorlitz Trio Plan 2 10mm lens. Yeah, jeez, God. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So where are Seth and Saul getting their supplies from that they're selling at their store? Or what are they selling at their store exactly? They're getting them from Charlie, shipping them from wherever Charlie has his other depot, right? Well, this stagecoach is coming in constantly with new goods and various items. Okay. Charlie brought them one shipment the last time he came in. And I assume, since that's his business, that that's that he's continuing. Now they're selling stuff to the miners to pan and build their sluices and on their claims, and they're selling equipment to build new buildings, which are constantly going up. It's a l- lucrative business, I would say. Okay. Mm-hmm. They used to say that um, businesses like that one was were the ones that were sure to make money in mining camps rather than actually mining. Mm. It was the uh, the people that provided services to the miners who made out. Yeah, and Seth's about to buy a house, so they must be doing pretty well. Yeah. He didn't pay for his drink, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it just goes on a tab, and he, it'll settle it later. Okay. From his balcony, Al watches the Reverend lecture some bulls on circumcision. (laughs) (laughs) And uncircumcision. And uncircumcision. (laughs) And if, if, I don't even know if this makes sense. Like, I couldn't follow it and I decided not, it wasn't worth trying to figure it out. I think he's just trying to figure things out from the Bible. I think he's confused by the Bible himself. (laughs) And. The view of an ox, apparently, brought this all to mind for him. Hmm. Seth knocks on the door and enters, and here we get some awesome uh, Timothy Oliphant line delivery. (laughs) Yes, this was very awkward. Hurry down and toast him. Maybe Merrick will put his camera back up. My wife and child are coming. (laughs) Stop it. It's... No, it was was a little bit awkward. It was a little stiff. Yeah. It was... Bye. A little stiff. I don't see it. I, I, saw <laughs> I didn't it this see morning. it either. I'm seeing it more and more. I don't know. I, I, you're rubbing off on me, Maddie. <laughs> ah. It's all your fault. I'll stop rubbing off on you. Which scene, <laughs> <laughs> which scene was this that you were all upset with? Uh, no, I just 
no. Seth, these Seth and Al scenes, it just seemed like his delivery was... And then later on with Otis at the dinner scene, very just dry. Yeah, it's just it's just he doesn't sound like he's convinced of the things that he's saying. Or doesn't sound like, I don't know, it's just something. For me, I, I always feel like, like in those scenes, I just... If, He's just dripping with not liking these people. You know, he's dealing with them and he doesn't like it. And he's controlling himself. You know, that's what I'm getting from it. Taking every ounce of his patience to control himself around these people. You should print up business cards that say, Carol Swift, Timothy Oliphant Apologist. (laughs) Sometimes I see that though, Carol, but then other times I don't. Like this time I didn't. I am not an apologist. I I try and be fair. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing you and Timothy. (laughs) Al tells Seth the magistrate demanded 5,000 from him for that warrant, and now the magistrate demands more. But if Seth were the sheriff and said, do this, do that, Al would respect him. Because Seth isn't a fucking whore like the magistrate. He's one of those pains in the balls who thinks the law can be honest. I thought that was interesting that he thought that Seth could be a good sheriff. I just really, like, that he has, that he can see that in him is kind of... Is he only saying that because it's not going to happen? Because I don't see him wanting Seth as a sheriff because Seth would actually cause him trouble and not let him do anything illegal. I mean, maybe, but there's, there's something to be said for somebody who is honest and forthright, and you always know where you stand with him, whereas Con Stapleton, because he can be bought, he he would just be an extra headache to Al because Al would always have to figure out, oh, what's this guy up to now? Whereas he Are you knows about that. Seth or no, Con. Con. He's Con. a an unknown quantity. He's... Yeah. He yeah he wouldn't have to like think about you know he would know yeah you're yeah right it, he would know where Seth stands. But if it's Seth, then he'd have to always be worried that is Seth going to find out about this shady dealing that I'm doing? I don't think Al is doing that many shady dealings though. I don't know. The the thing about Seth is that, I mean, as you say, you know where he stands, but also the law is fluid in that place. So if you had a sheriff and you're saying, okay, he's not going to let you do anything illegal, well, what's illegal in a town that really doesn't have any laws? Mm. Um, usually right. murder. It's about maintaining order if you're a yeah. sheriff. It's not about enforcing laws because there aren't any. Right. So, right. I mean, Al Al could say to Seth, yes, I murdered Jimmy Irons, but I did it because if I, if I didn't do that, all these other things would have happened. There would have been more deaths. Uh-huh. And he had killed a, um, he'd killed somebody. Yeah. So he was a murderer and Al killed him to keep there from being a race war. Seth might not like it, but he'd go along with it. Seth says, he's, I'm only here because Saul is busy fucking that whore. Oh, I was, oh, I was so mad that he said that. Oh. I was like, no. Yeah. Your friend. I was really disappointed. Dummy. Yeah. A little bit jealous. I think he's jealous that he's getting some. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's also annoyed, I think, that he's doing it in the store. I was trying to do hardware business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it would be annoying if you leave your friend to run your store. 
that you both run together, and then you walk in and he's fucking someone while on the job. You know, that's... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, kind of awkward. Kind of not right. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not exactly, you know, right for the store either. Not that... Not that appearances make such a big deal in Deadwood, but... Mm. They do. I mean, it's they're not running a brothel. They're running a hardware store. Yeah. Oh, back on the balcony, Al watches the reference some more. He's he's just speaking nonsense. Then he catches Al's eyes and starts to wave, sort of wave. <laughs> Al's got tears in his eyes. <laughs> Is Al crying? Yeah. I, I, I thought so. Yeah. I mean, kind of looked like it. And it, I, we were trying to figure out uh, whether it was because. The Reverend reminds him of his brother, or because of Trixie, or both. Hmm. Does he just feel bad for him in general, and we're seeing a softer side of Al? I was just wondering he, if he was upset by Trixie going to see Saul as well. Like, oh, I definitely think tr- he's upset about Trixie. I know, I know he is, but but I'm not sure the, the tears have to do with Trixie. I, I got the feeling that the tears were about the Reverend, but it could be about both. I think because he. Uh, I, I I would like I him it's... to be, but he's so ruthless with throwing yeah. away life uh, whenever, so I can't, I don't know. But seeing... No, I think he's practical. I don't think he's ruthless. Well, I mean, he's nonchalant about it. He'll just stab a guy or yeah, drown him in a tub. Because, <laughs> because of practicality. Yeah, some life. Joy's doing it. Dope, mm-hmm. dope fiends who, you know, who kill their, his couriers, different from somebody like the Reverend, who was a good person. Right. He can and feel empathy for the Reverend, whereas yeah, for others he can't. Al's no serial killer. Like, he doesn't take pleasure in killing people. Yeah. Reverend's too beautiful for this world. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to go that far. He also <laughs> the whole thing about his brother. Yeah. Which, now, was not part of the story of his mother that he was telling. So, we don't know what happened to his brother, or what you know, what the deal was there. But I mean, if he's watching the Reverend disintegrate, and he already had to watch his brother do the same thing, and he considered the man, the Reverend, a good man, you know, it's it's tough to watch if you have any kind of empathy at all. At the hardware store, Seth tells Saul that he's going to start building on a plot of land if Hostetler accepts his offer. Otis Russell enters and introduces himself and invites Seth to dinner. He invites Saul, too. Saul Saul can't make it. (laughs) The doctor apologizes to Jewel for earlier. His bile was in its ascendance. (laughs) (laughs) He tells her that his concern is that she will hurt herself with some contraption and ruin whatever limited mobility she has now. I just like the doc. Any scene he's in. Yeah, he's great. Yep. A favorite character. And I do have a quote about Doc in this scene. When the Doc makes a brace for Jewel at the end of the first season, that's his way of saying, we do what we can. That encounter between Doc and Jewel is a bit based on a scene in Madame Bovary with the hunchback Hippolyte. Her mope husband does an operation on the guy in order to impress Emma and fucks the hunchback up worse than ever. The first introduction in the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. That is Cochrane's rationale for not wanting to make the boot. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Anything else about uh, Doc and the and Jewel? I was disappointed that there wasn't much 
Jewel, really, yeah. in this episode, considering that the name... Yeah, but that's the same as Mr. Wu. There's not much yeah. Mr. Wu. Yeah, there really there really wasn't. And I that disappointed me, because I'd like to know more about her. She's she's interesting and kind of fun. The next episode is going to be called Al Swearingen, starring Cy Tolliver. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> we don't get what what's advertised. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get a little bit. You get a get a taste of it, <laughs> but then the it gets taken away. Dinner time at Mr. Farnham's absurd restaurant. Oh God! Slab yeah. of beef off the chuck, whole carrots, little brown potatoes, fresh baked bread, and rhubarb pie to come. That sounds pretty good. Actually, sounds pretty good. Sounds yeah. delicious, but except that you're being served by the absolute worst waiter in the world. <laughs> he really the likes the worst being, waiter. He really likes being a waiter, though. I think. Oh no, he's the worst. He's just lingers for too long. I was surprised he didn't touch anyone. Mm. Like, ah, oh, those oh, are the worst he waiters. Slimed me. <laughs> <laughs> you need anything dampened? <laughs> 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 Would you like me to dampen your potatoes? <laughs> this beef is a little dry. Can you can you, <laughs> can you hold it for a second? <laughs> Would you mind rubbing your hands on top of this? <laughs> Gross. Oh. Yes, the worst waiter. I wouldn't go to his restaurant. I wouldn't even want him to touch my food. Nope, nope, nope. They ask for a glass of water, and he just wrings out his sh- shirt into a cup. Oh, <laughs> <gross>. <laughs> you like some lemon with that? And then throws a, puts a lemon in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not going to have lemons. No, a canned peach. <laughs> Everything else in your story made sense, but the lemon's not so much. Otis asks Seth if he thinks Alma should stay in camp, and Alma is like, what does it matter? I've decided to stay. Seth says, the custom is if you give a claim to your efforts and stake it, or you bought it fair, someone would have to go to some length to take it away. We've taken steps to demonstrate her activity. Alma is getting pretty annoyed that these two men are talking about her in front of her. And E.B. is spying on them through his peephole, remarking to Richardson that, Otis is likely taking advantage of his own flesh and blood, and just how awful that is. If if EB thinks you're terrible, you're terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he definitely he. Now he thinks he's got a scam going that could involve Alma, and but that most likely she's just going to be a victim of it, or he's trying to make her a victim of it. So he's recognized him, you know. Daddy is a scam artist, is a grifter of some sort. At the gem, Saul refuses to pay Al $5 because it had nothing to do with him. But Al says, you pay or she pays. Mm. So Saul finally relents. And after Al takes the money, he tells Trixie she sleeps with her own kind tonight. Also makes the rule that they can't meet outside the gem, that he's got to come there and... How how awkward is that? Al's going to make that really awkward for them. I don't think he's going to encourage that relationship. No, he hates it. Mm -hmm. He considers himself betrayed by her. Alma monologues to Sophia. If they had a kitchen, they'd retire to it to to discuss minute matters whilst the men decide their fates. Yeah. She's not bitter. She's not bitter, no. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, that would be frustrating. It yeah. is grotesque. Yeah. That, that they're just talking about her uh, without yeah. her present. Yeah. Because uh, Otis and Seth are outside ambulating. Otis <laughs> hopes that Alma will meet a man with a surer sense of the world than Brahms. And Seth says, my wife and son are coming. <laughs> Keep reminding yourself of that, Seth. <laughs> mm-hmm. said that uh, a few times this episode. Yeah, yeah. And then he basically says, well, that shouldn't be an impediment. It's okay if you have an affair with my daughter. Yeah. So he's a Salma shipper, too? <laughs> yes. I guess so. He's not so bad after all. Huh. Um, I don't know. You're encouraging some random dude that you just met to uh, have sex with your daughter? I think that's a little weird. But he dresses fancy. It's a little weird. <laughs> Maybe he's hoping that he can get Seth on his side, then they can, then he can kind of fleece Alma a little easier. Yeah. She'll be distracted. Or he thinks that perhaps he can get Seth involved with fleecing Alma. Mm. Mm. Which means that he's a very bad judge of character. Yeah, I I get more the sense that if he if he gives Seth to Alma, Alma will will not mind parting with the gold. Mm. Get her occupied in a relationship, then yeah, then he can take her take her claim from her. Seth says good night, and Otis says, "Well, I'm sure Alma wasn't hoping it was good night when we all excused ourselves from dinner." <laughs> <laughs> he's a Salma shipper, so he's not all bad. Yeah. Eddie returns to the Bella Union, though he would like Sai to retract what he said earlier about the farm boys. So said Sai apologizes. Sounded sincere. Sai uses a couple uh, strange expressions here. First, he says "brown study." I was in a brown study. It's a 14th century British term that started out meaning a dark, melancholy mood, but later came to mean a state of deep thinking. Hmm. Hmm. He says, giving the office when, uh, later on when Eddie does that thing on his nose to Joni. What are you giving the office for, Eddie? That's a hint signal or private intimation. In horse racing, the expression is sometimes used to describe the moment when a jockey makes his horse sprint faster during the last stretch of track. Hmm. What? Does he touch his nose to make his horse go faster? What? It's a signal. It's just a signal. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But yeah, apparently yeah. it's used in horse racing, but it's also used in gaming, gambling. It's the term sig- is used in horse racing, right? Yes. yes. Sig- yeah. Correct. Yes. Giving the office. Yeah. Um, right. So how much do you want to bet that uh, Sai heard every single word that Eddie said? <laughs> Maybe. I think I- so. I wondered about that, but it didn't seem like it. I mean, Sai is there. Eddie recovered pretty quickly. It seemed, it just seems like Sai was right there for the whole conversation and Eddie didn't see him. And then he turned around and he was like, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, he seemed very close. <laughs> yeah, it was a little, yeah. like, I'm like, there's yeah. no way he wouldn't have heard him. Maybe Sai is more of a ninja than him. Maybe Sai's picking his po- uh, pockets. Yeah. yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Sai also uses the expression showing my peacock. It's like Yeah, I was wondering what that meant. I could not find any any information on this as this is being an expression. I did find out that peacock feathers are a superstitious element in theater. They should never be brought on stage either as a costume element, prop, or part of a set, as chaos will ensue. <laughs> okay. Is that true, Carol? You have a theater background. True. Really? Even now? It's a well-known superstition. Never had pe- peacock feathers on stage, so I don't know. 
The peacock is said to represent a malevolent evil eye that bestows <laughs> a curse on the show. Um, all right. The association between peacock feathers and the evil eye is best illustrated by the Greek myth of Argus, the monster whose body was covered with a hundred eyes. The eyes were transfer transferred or transformed to the tail of a peacock. Oh, that's it? That's why? Ugh. And because it looks like an evil eye. Yeah, yeah, because it looks like their feathers have eyes on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I also found uh, mm -hmm. lyrics to Katy Perry's song Peacock. <laughs> that's all I could find for that for that for that information. So all right. Well, you. What was the original? I tried. What was the original quote? Mind if I show Joni my peacock, Eddie? It just sounds really dirty to me. Then he leads her yeah, away. Yeah, it sounds really dirty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, I kind of thought that was a sexual reference. Yeah. The other thing I wondered was whether he had something to show off to her. That wasn't a sexual reference, but... Well, he also says... Well, she implies, oh, the pest tent's coming down. And he says, no, that's too far off till the camp expands. You want a more central plot, say, Fretton Cochran's Alley. Well, those all seem took by the Chinese. Well, you never know how that's going to shake out. Yeah. So I guess just from context, it means I'm going to give her some information. But it's just strange that I couldn't find that as an actual expression that anyone's ever said. <laughs> it seems to be just something that uh, was put into the show. Yep, may have been made up for the show. Leon has attracted quite an audience, riling up the hoopleheads against the Celestials. Psy kind of wanders over. He says, "Thin it out a bit, Leon." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little heavy-handed. Did it look like he was getting anybody riled up about the whole no China? China? Not really? I didn't yeah. think so. Nobody was taking the bait. Which I'm kind of glad for. Mm. I hope it, I hope this doesn't go anywhere. Mm. Seth confesses to Saul that he told Al about Saul and Trixie. Sometimes he's that stupid. Yes, he is. <laughs> that was uh, Timothy Oliphant's acting in this scene. <laughs> mm. Better, worse. I was fine with it. Yeah, I was fine I with, was it. with it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as I as I said before, I don't have a problem with his acting. It's sometimes his line delivery. Yeah, it's, it's two different things. How he holds himself, comports himself, his facial acting, that's always been fine for me. It's just sometimes the line delivery's a little stiff. Yeah, he looked really apologetic, but I don't know if Saul actually really forgave him for that. <laughs> yeah, Saul, I definitely got the feeling Saul was trying to forgive him. Yeah, but he was still pissed. Was, yeah, was really annoyed. I can't. I can't really blame him. It's not like Al's not going to know that Saul and Trixie are together. Yeah, but He's... still. It's just the fact that he just told on him, you know. And it could have gone on for a while without, you know, Al finding out necessarily. Well, maybe this is better this way. Mm, maybe. No. no? I, don't, I don't think Saul is going to be going over to the gem to see Trixie. But do you think Al would be... <sighs> Don't you think that if this had gone on, this relationship had gone on in secret for, let's say, a month or two longer, Al would be even more enraged that they were keeping it from him? Now okay. he knows. So, Would he have known that how long it had been going on? He would find out and ask, probably. Uh, he's got a way of finding things out anyways. Oh, he does, definitely. definitely. I just feel like it's one of those things It's better that he's told than he finds out. Mm. Well, he found out, though. 
I meant that he finds out on his own. Like, he catches them in the act. Yeah. Yeah. Might yeah. end with blood. <laughs> Maybe it feels like less of a betrayal. If if he's just told. Mm, maybe. I don't know. He already feels like it's a betrayal because he he let her go visit the kid and instead she went and, you know. Had, had some fun. Yeah. Had some fun with another man. Mm. Oh, but then she also tried to kill herself and he was upset about that. Maybe he knows that his hold on her is tenuous. It's slipping, so mm. he acts he acts upset, more upset than he is. I don't know. We we shall see. So you think he's a he's acting upset when he's not? I think he's putting on a bit of a pretense. Really? No, I think he's getting getting more used to the idea that she doesn't belong there anymore. Really? Maybe he'd rather have another agent in the field. The way he has Silas. I got, I definitely got the feeling that he felt very betrayed and, and that he was very upset over the whole thing. I mean, by the end there, the drinking and everything, I definitely got the feeling it started with the Reverend, but then it switched over to Trixie by the end and that it was much more about, that whole last part was much more about Trixie than about anything else. Well, he kicked her out of bed. I mean, sleep with your own kind. Yeah, because he was, he was jealous and hurt and betrayed. I felt betrayed. Well, that doesn't mean he's going to hold on to those emotions. That no. he will retain that anger over a longer period of time. Maybe this is just he's getting it out of a system and then the next day it's not exactly go go have fun with your friends all, but maybe it's just a little less angry. I don't know. Oh, Al is very, I still maintain that Al is very practical, so I feel like, yeah, he might, he might do that. I could see him using Trixie down the line, just like you agreeing with Mel. You know, I mean, I could see him if he needed Saul to do <clears throat> something at some point. I could see him sending Trixie out to persuade him or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't think he's, really ready to lose his grip on her or anything. Mm. Or throw her out of bed for good. If I was Al Swearingen, if I was Al Swearingen, I would say Trixie is too self-destructive and unpredictable in her capacity as my whore. I would rather have her out of the gem than possibly doing some things for me. Like kind of a cut your losses sort of thing. Maybe her, maybe her value, her worth, isn't as just another one of his whores. Yeah, he's always held her apart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's he's got he's got feelings for her. And to think she was going to die originally in the first episode. Huh. Yeah. Where would we be now? Such an interesting direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. yeah. I and definitely what, got the feeling, especially in this one, that he he the reason he was upset was because he had feelings for her. And that's why he felt so betrayed. It wasn't, you know, like, oh, five bucks. It was... I like her as a confidant and stuff. Uh, I wonder if, like, if she had died in that first episode, if we'd be... If he'd be spending a lot more time with Dan or something. Is Dan in bed? (laughs) 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 Dan suck my cock while I... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, before we get to the blowjob monologue, I just want to add that Seth tells Saul that he feels that Otis Russell is not in camp to look after Alma's best interest. He's here to root her claim, which is what EB suspects, what I think we all suspected. I didn't, yeah. even, I didn't even catch that until they said it, <laughs> until that was said. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. No, me neither. I didn't catch that at all. No. I assumed that right from the beginning. And everything he said made it so more, much more clear. I can't understand half of what these people are saying anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> We always watch with subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Oh. I don't know. Maybe I should be... I feel like I should be watching these episodes twice because I don't always get things the first time around. Mm. You should watch them three or four times. Ah, too much time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that, that much time. <laughs> that was interesting that Alma said that uh, she hates them. And with a them. Do you think she meant Seth and Otis, or did she mean like Brahm and Otis? Or did she mean uh, men in general? Man, men yeah, in general. Men in general. Mm-hmm. I think at that moment it was men in general. She might not feel that way in general all the time. Like, might be much more individual. But I get the feeling that she has not had too many experiences with men in her life where they weren't looking to control her. Yeah, she's finally found autonomy here in Deadwood. And now her dad's here to take her claim and send her back to New York or get her involved in, with another man. He's matchmaking okay. with another man. And it's always it's always my father and other men deciding what I, what I do with my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I hate them. Yeah, yep. in that moment, yeah. Obviously, Seth is more of an ally to for her and Ellsworth and Wild Bill than than anyone else has ever been. But in this moment, I think she's just fucking pissed off. Yeah, I mean, among other things, even though she may be sure that overall that Seth is not going to betray her, she has no idea what they're saying down there, other than the fact that they're discussing her fate. True. So just that is kind of galling that, you know, she has to have that person doing that for her, talking about her fate for her. A drunk Al gives a soliloquy whilst on the receiving end of a blowjob. <laughs> First, he's angry that the Reverend makes him feel things. The Reverend should just man up and die already and stop <laughs> making Al ruminate on things like mortality. No. Then Al tells the whore that the woman who ran the orphanage where she was from also ran a whorehouse. And before that, she ran the boys' orphanage on Euclid Avenue. Al's mother dropped him off at the orphanage with $7.60-odd cents before knocking on the door one, two, three, four times before disappearing down Euclid Avenue so she could suck cock in Georgia or become mayor of San Francisco or a ditch for calm. But anyways, you can spit it out. You don't have to swallow. How <laughs> considerate. I just remember first seeing this scene, my jaw was probably on the floor. It was just the most fascinating and <laughs> gross thing ever <laughs> ever seen on a TV show. That's true, because, yeah, just Al, like, kind of getting naked, you know. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, you know, yeah, it's just the way it happens. It's Compare that to the scene between Saul and Trixie. It's not romantic at all. Oh, God. But you can't take your eyes off of it. Well, they they do these. They used to call them sex position scenes on Game of Thrones, where they would be yeah. some sort of grotesque sexual act, 
in the middle of exposition. Yeah. Yeah. So. Remembering what, having seen this back when and being the only thing from Deadwood that I'd seen, um, yeah, I just remember thinking that it was brutal and this man is absolutely disgusting and horrible. And, of course, Al, yeah, he's disgusting and horrible. But he's layered disgusting and horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually got confused in the monologue. And I listened yeah. to it a second time and still was confused. It makes more sense the way you're saying it. Because I think the she's between the one woman who ran the whorehouse and Fat Mrs. Fucking Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Anderson and his mother got, like, confused because I was like, wait a minute, how can she have still be run, been running whorehouses when Al got this, this woman? So you thought the woman that ran the orphanage was also a whore? No. I, oh. it was because he started talking about her having left and gone to San Francisco and stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. How could she have been running an orphanage in Chicago right up until almost the present day? Because Al just got this, this woman, I would imagine not long ago. And when Al was a kid, but she also went to San Francisco. So all the she's, you know, it's his mother who may have gone to San Francisco or someplace, not Miss Anderson. It got me confused. Looking at the transcript right now, this whole speech is just a giant wall of text. <laughs> is it one run uh, sentence? It's, it's, <laughs> except for the horror at one point says, yeah. And then he goes, you shut the fuck up, huh? It's <laughs> just, it's probably the longest soliloquy we've had so far. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about before we actually began watching the show, the language of the show. Right. And these really dense, you know, dense speeches. This is probably the first big one that we had getting Alice backstory here. And so I can, obviously I can, I can definitely see where you would get confused because he kind of goes in all these different directions. He's drunk right now also while he's getting yeah. a, a blowjob. So yeah. And he's upset and his, his mind's, Probably conflating Mrs. Anderson and his mother. This may be where he gets kind of a disgust of women, his misogyny. Because mm-hmm. he was abandoned by his mother. He was given over to uh, another woman who ran a whorehouse and an orphanage. Probably turned out the orphans, at least the girl orphans, too, as whores. Because then later on, he goes back and he buys some of the whores, take them out to Deadwood. Yeah, and he says she's coming out of the boys' dorm at 5 o'clock in the morning. So she's apparently taking advantage of some of the boys. Yeah. And who knows what else she's doing to the boys. And then Anderson took away his $6, right? I don't know. I was having a really hard time following his train of thought. And I realized that, you know, it was you were supposed to. He was drunk and... And he was supposed to be all over the place. But, you know, you got the general idea that this was a bad childhood. A childhood that formed his career? 
Because mm. he basically, he's like Don Draper. Yeah. He grew up in a whorehouse. Pretty much. He was an orphan who grew right. up in a whorehouse. Right. And just the women in his Except life abandoned him Draper. and took advantage of him. And that's now he's just. Yeah. The circle continues. It's the circle of life. <laughs> circle of shit. <laughs> but one thing that he doesn't mention is his brother. No. So was his, yeah, was his brother dead by this point? Maybe the, his brother was older? Or was his brother younger? And was his brother with him? But he didn't need to mention that? or Yeah, I don't know. All those thoughts went through my head. Did he say whether it was an older brother or a younger brother? I don't think he did say. I'm trying to remember. That was the plague episode, right? They were having their meeting, and that's when the reverend right. seized. Right. Um, he just said, we used to have a fucking brother given to that. We'd make pennies off it when he'd come over him in the street. All right. That's all he said. Okay, I assumed for some reason that it was a young... I ended up picturing a younger brother because they were making money off it. But it could have been an older brother. There's no reason why not. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the final scene of the episode? I want to talk about the song at the end. Bring back my hoe cake, you long-tailed nanio. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you like hoe cakes? What's a hoe cake? <laughs> this is the one of probably one that, that would get somebody's attention. Uh, snake baked a. It's called snake baked a hoe cake. Snake baked a hoe cake. Uh, I just figured it was probably one of those nonsensical songs, but. Maybe there's a meaning behind it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know what a hoe cake is, but the... What is that? It's like a Johnny cake. Is yeah. It? It's made out it... of cornmeal. Oh. Yeah. And what is a long-tailed nanio? <laughs> Let's find out. It's a lizard, I think. I'm just yeah. picturing a lemur. Yeah, I, I can't imagine there being a song about a lemur. No, yeah. I know, but that's what I'm picturing. Snake baked the hoe cake and set the frog beside it. The frog fell a dozing, and the lizard came and took it. Bring back my hoe cake, you long-tailed nanio. Oh, so he's talking about the snake. And the nanio is probably just an insult. <laughs> <laughs> you long-tailed nanio. <laughs> that's one of those shitty old-time insults. <laughs> is that supposed to offend me? <laughs> <laughs> As the snake slithers away with the hoe cake. <laughs> It appeared on a song from Animal Folk Songs for Children. Aww. Hmm. Oh, okay. The snake baked a hoe cake and set the frog to watch it. The frog fell a dozing. The lizard came and took oh, it. lizard. In fact, uh -huh. my hoe cake, you long-tailed nanio. So that would be the lizard. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. Yes. So nanio is just uh, an insult, maybe... It says yeah. the song is from Pennsylvania, so maybe, maybe, maybe people in Pennsylvania call each other nannios. <laughs> you stupid nannio. <laughs> yeah, I. It's just like it just sounds to me actually like a like a child's insult. Yeah. 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 Like kids always have like kind of those. They just call each other silly names. All right. Let me bring up our predictions. <gasps> I hope I win. First of all, deaths. Matt and Carol each predicted one death. Mel predicted zero deaths. Congratulations, Mel. Yay! Win! This was a bloodless episode. Yay, bloodless. As far as specific predictions, 
Carol predicted that Jewel will take a different job, possibly at the Bella Union. Hmm. Matt predicted Jewel creates a rival ambulatory club full of misfits and rejects. <laughs> she did. She it was kind of she was the only it. member. <laughs> <laughs> That's a point. <laughs> I got a point. <laughs> Mel predicted that Jewel gets in on the walking craze and starts a pig walking service for Mr. Wu's pigs. Then she eats her customers. <laughs> she probably did that too. Uh, she tried to do that. Yeah. Didn't work out. See, she rolled in the muck just like a pig. <laughs> she tried. Yep. I think I, I think I came closest. <laughs> so we give Mel a point for uh, her body count prediction and uh, we give Matt half a point for it. Yes. I still have more points than you. Because <laughs> nobody died during this one, right? Nope. Right. Well, we have some feedback. No feedback from Will because he's here. Yeah, hey, exactly. Will. <laughs> but, Will, why don't you read this feedback from Nutty? Nutty. Okay. Nutty Nuchas. Nutty says, this episode didn't feel complete. It felt like a bridge filling in pieces between episodes. Saul and Trixie was sad. They really like each other, and she wanted him. But then Seth had to fuck it up. Mm. I'm glad he came clean to Saul, though. Al is really bothered by the Rev's condition, and it's more than because he reminds him of his brother. I think he feels empathetic for him, and while having feelings just makes Al angry. Al's orphan backstory and how he was helping the woman who raised him is the reason he shot the guy. That's a good story. Alma's dad is a jerk. I hope someone kills him soon. Huh. Heart Ellsworth did... Wait, who does Mel want to die? Sigh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, Alma's dad can die too, for all I care. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ellsworth is still adorable. Saw him in X-Files recently, next week's episode, and I almost squeed. <laughs> I love Doc and Jewel. I'm glad he's helping her, and glad he's so scared of doing more damage than good. She's adorable, and how she jokes with Al is the best. What should go to the docks for? I'm knocked up. I almost spit out my soda. <laughs> so it was mostly a meh episode with some shining moments. Looking forward to the podcast, Nuchas. Nuchas says, Al's orphan backstory and how he was helping the woman who raised him is the reason he shot the guy. That's a good story. So is that like combining what he said at the beginning? to Trixie with what he said at the very end during his monologue, or... I don't think he helped the woman who raised him, or that he's... She must be talking about when he revealed to Trixie that he stabbed that cop. Yeah. Because the cop was... Maybe she thought the cop was shaking down the woman who had raised him, the head of the... She would have been... She may have been dead by that point. Um, No, she couldn't be... I, di- yeah. I, I didn't get the impression that him stabbing the cop was an act of anything other than hatred for being took for $35. Yeah, okay. Nor did I have the impression that the woman, Mrs. Anderson, was some kind of good person that he would help. He didn't like Mrs. Anderson. Yeah, I didn't get that feeling either, but, you know, Nutris has that in there, and I, it made me kind of go, huh? Hmm. Not that I don't appreciate Nuchus's thing. It's an interesting. It's an interesting theory, but I'm not sure that it's in the the episode. 
I like things that make me go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, our second and final bit of feedback is from Emily. I will let Matt and Mel fight for it. Ah. I'll do it. Ow! That's right. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> All right, there you go. Don't go crying to your mother about this. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> All right. The one about Jewel's boots. <laughs> hey, Hoopleheads. I finally found time to catch up with my Deadwood watching. A boring stint of orphan black is apparently what it takes. Yeah. I was four episodes. Oh. That's a burn. Burn. Burn on orphan black. Season three. It's not that bad this season. Well, I don't know. Um... I was four episodes behind, and I must say I had a great time catching up. I didn't take any notes, so I'll do my best. <laughs> the Grifters! Boy, that was something, huh? Yeah, yeah it was. Yep. <laughs> and I think I might just be a Salma shipper myself. Yay! <laughs> Mr. Wu was amazing. More Mr. Wu! Guaylo Kaksaka. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, a giant no way to eating bacon from pigs who fed off humans. Ew! My one exception would be extreme starvation, like plane crash in the Andes type stuff. She's talking about alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Could someone shoot the preacher and put him out of his misery a la broken leg- legged horses? <laughs> Poor dude. Hard to watch. So, you're not okay with eating bacon, but you're okay with shooting bacon from people bacon, but you're okay with shooting the preacher. Well, one is putting it, someone out of their misery, another well, one the is person, eating it. Yes, but the person has already been put out of their misery and be, been turned into bacon. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's just not a fan <laughs> of cannibalism, and I can't say that I am either. You should try I, it sometime. I have to agree on that one. <laughs> Yeah, you should try it sometime. <laughs> See you in a month, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's such a good time. <laughs> you too, Will. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor was very sweet to Jewel, even when he was abrupt. Very sweet. Saul and Trixie were kind of adorable in the hardware store. Marvelous shipping name, by the way. Sixie. <laughs> Digging Seth and Saul's cute little bromance, too. I wish I could do more, but brain is slowing down at this late hour. I give this one four axes and five saws, totaling nine. Oh. Al is now my favorite character, but I need not ever hear him pee again. <laughs> from, from Emily from the Utah Territories. Sent from her iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Nutty. Thank you. Okay, let's write this thing. As the guest, Will, you get to go first. So yeah, I'm going to request uh, that Will compare this episode to a sex act. <laughs> Tradition. I mean, there's plenty in this episode <laughs> to inspire you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this episode, so much happened in this episode, and it seemed to kind of go on and on. But I, I, I didn't really care much for Alma, Seth, Otis storyline. But everything else, I guess, was pretty good. Um, I really liked, well, <laughs> that scene at the end, that really did it for me. I really like the scene. So this scene is like a, I mean, this episode is like a surprise blowjob that you weren't expecting. It's like when you wake up and your dick is in somebody's mouth. <laughs> and it's the best thing ever. What? Uh, what? <laughs> what? What's that? What's that? Oh. happened to you before? 
But yeah, so I would give the episode 7 out of 10 unexpected blow Java logs. Nice. And I like that word, blow Java log. <laughs> Carol? Oh, I forgot a rating system. Um, all right. I agree with Nutty that this is kind of a meh episode. It, it seemed like it was filler. I was disappointed that we didn't see much of Jewel. I get it that, you know, everything is about Al, but it kind of wore a little thin in this particular episode because it, I, I kind of wanted to see other people. I really did like Al's, I mean, the performance was wonderful. Um, I can't remember his name offhand. Ian McShane? Yeah. A wonderful performance. He, you know, just really layers upon layers and, and all that good stuff. But the episode as a whole, not crazy about it. Uh, six out of ten uncomfortable visits from daddy. He? <laughs> <laughs> Mel. Mm. Uh, I like this episode fine. I didn't <laughs> have any problems with it. I enjoyed Sixie. I enjoyed Al feeling feelings. <laughs> I did get confused by some of the some of the things that were going on. But that's every episode. So this episode was no different. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm going to give it and eight out of ten, uh, Mad Men spoilers, Mad A. <laughs> <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Matt. I liked it okay. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, super great, but, uh, I, I did enjoy some more, uh, sides to Al that we got to see. Uh, oh, you mean like angles? Like with your shirt? <laughs> I liked all those different physical angles of yeah, Al that I like, haven't I seen. Mean, to and his see, facial expressions. I, I think I saw behind his <laughs> ear for the first time. <laughs> no, I just, I liked, I liked the scene where he was like feeling sorry for the reverend. Um, yeah. Not sure what I think of Alma's dad yet. Oh, um, yeah. All you can think of is Boy Meets World. Yeah, it's tough to guess. <laughs> um, I'll give it 7 out of 10 blowjob rants. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I like this episode fine. Didn't feel super action packed, but that's okay. I enjoyed getting Al backstory and meeting Alma's father, even though I don't like him. That's interesting. Good stuff between the doc and Jewel, Trixie and Saul. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was okay. So I'll give it, um, eight out of ten. American Optical back focus single swing cameras with Meyer Gorlitz Trio Plan 210 millimeter lenses. Nice. <laughs> you do enjoy saying that, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> and that time it kind of, I kind of got it out. <laughs> Very <Without> being tripped <laughs> up. <laughs> too, too tripped up. Uh, Will, who's your character of the episode? I want to give it to Al. Yeah. Okay. I think he rocked this episode. Carol. Yeah, it's got to be Al. Um, even though, yeah, it's gotta be Al. Mel, does it have to be Al? I, I, I really want to be absurd and give it <laughs> and disgusting. <laughs> should I? Sure. No, you, I shouldn't. You be you. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't. It's really gross. No, don't be you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else. 
<laughs> I don't. I'm trying to think of who else could be a contender. Yeah, like I don't. I don't always like to. I want to give it to the doctor. Had a couple good scenes. Yes, but I always give it to the doctor. I would give it to Trixie for her her scene with Saul, but then she gets kind of put in her place by the end. So I'll give it to Saul <laughs> instead. But I like them. I, if I give it to both of them, give I it would. to Sixy. Yeah, I give it to Sixy, the new the new person that is Sixy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I give it to the ox that the doctor was talking to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You mean the reverend? The reverend, yes. Don't imply that the doctor is uh, <laughs> circumcision <laughs> on the brain. But the doctor is probably also the veterinarian of the town, so. Well, Matt, if you want to give your vote to Saul, Mel can give it to Trixie. Sure. And all the bases will be covered. Let's do that. Okay. If that's okay uh, with her. And then I don't have to be gross anymore. Yeah. You know what? I'm also going to give it to Saul because she she said something like, you can kiss my tits or my neck. And he's like, no, I want to kiss you. Yeah. Mm, so romantic. <laughs> what a gentleman. I swoon. know. I know. I swoon. <laughs> I was like, oh, I swoon, fanning myself. <laughs> Saul Starr is not a misogynist. No. Mm. No. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. A feminist, maybe. Maybe. Aww, yeah, good guy. Okay, he gets my vote. And I like, and I like that he said, "Do you have to say it like that?" When she said "one free fuck," he's like, yeah. "Do you really have to say it like that?" Because mm-hmm. he was thinking about it romantically, you know, like he cares for her. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think of it as fucking, you know. Yep. Which was yeah. nice. that was nice as well. Yep. He's the show's Romeo. Oh. <laughs> Even though he has the creepy kind of lean in kiss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna kiss you I'm gonna so kiss you. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Will, do you have a quote for us? Uh, yes. I'd lick a bear's ass before I pay a fine to E.B. Farnham. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. Mel? <laughs> From E.B., I put him in the room above the privy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> is he number two on the hit list? Yeah, I guess so. I thought that was me. No. Oh, that's right. It's Matt. <laughs> You're number three. <laughs> Phew. Matt, quote. Uh, I previewed this one earlier today on Daredevil podcast. <laughs> you did. <laughs> By accident, I was looking at the wrong notes. I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Who on this episode of Daredevil said, "Would you want a free fuck"? <laughs> that doesn't seem like Daredevil. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Carol, quote. Um, this is Al when when the guy came to him about making Stapleton the sheriff. Tom, nothing Stapleton's got on you can't be solved by Dan Doherty. That is one of my quotes. Up. Oh. My my main quote is an E B quote. Your repast awaits your mouths. <laughs> 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 I have about three backup quotes from the last thing alone. <laughs> Just, Go for it. Okay. Um, you suck my dick and shut the fuck up, huh? <laughs> and then there was you got a stagecoach to catch or something? Slow the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And the last one, of course, is okay. Go ahead and spit it out. You don't need to swallow. <laughs> so disgusting. Hey, guys. All right. This is an exchange between Al and Doc. So what'd you tell her? 
Not to worry about your moods, that you generate those yourself and then find excuses for having them. Saucy words, Doc. Good thing you're handy with the snatch. <laughs> Doc, you're so insightful. Any other quotes? I wouldn't appoint that cocksucker to empty my spittoons. <laughs> Spittoon. 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 Gentlemen, Tom, I I uh, wondered if a se- second one might be appropriate without that putrid apron around your midsection. Uh, no. Let's drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I first saw that, I hadn't noticed the apron. <laughs> and when he first mentioned it, I couldn't really see what was on the apron. It looked more like embroidery or something. I couldn't tell. And I thought for a minute he had a Masonic apron on. And that that was why he wouldn't take it off. And then I went, I rewound it and looked at it. And I was like, no, no, it's his bar apron. Okay. <laughs> I just like that putrid apron. I think if ever I start a band, I'm naming it Putrid Apron. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good band name. I know. It is. Putrid Apron. Well, venture out. Sally fucking forth. <laughs> Uh, love it. Any other quotes? No. Mm, I have a really gross one from Al. You owe me five dollars. If you ask fucked her, you owe me seven. (laughs) 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 Uh, I didn't, I didn't realize that an ass fucking was more expensive. Yeah. Oh, yes. Very very special. (laughs) Mm, Very special. (laughs) Very, very special. (laughs) Okay, in two weeks we will. Return for the season finale. <gasps> wow. Episode wow. 12, Sold Under Sin. Sold Under Sin. Yeah. So give me your predictions and your body count predictions. Someone is going to be sold for sin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll trade you three sins for that whore. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, that makes no sense. Um, what's the exact title? Sold. Sold for sin. Sold for sold. Under. Sold under sin. sin. Sold. So there's gonna be a sign that says sin <laughs> <laughs> under it, and then like a fruit stand. Yeah. <laughs> With <a> canned peaches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone's gonna be se- someone selling fruit, and there's people having sex like right above them. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> and then you charge, and then they charge extra for the fruit because it was sold under sin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am just picturing uh that they have store all the canned peaches in the most expensive uh room in the uh, in Al's establishment. You know, like that's the room you would go to. This doesn't even make sense. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I predict uh Eddie will get caught stealing from Sai, he will die. Um, Alma will tell her father to get the hell out of her life. He will leave. Uh, what other stories are going on? Um, the doc will shoot the reverend, put him out of his misery. <laughs> um, Al will shoot the reverend. Yeah, maybe. But that Saints Row, that Saints Row game, it's the doc's gun. Mm. Video games don't lie. <laughs> I'm going by that, assuming it's a spoiler. Maybe the doc will beat the reverend with the <laughs> Jewel's boot. <laughs> Why would he do that? He's going to be like, here, Jewel, I made you a boot. <laughs> He's getting first... rid of the evidence. Nobody would ever suspect oh, that it's Jewel's boot. No uh, one would ever suspect it. Somebody killed the doc. Oh, Jewel's boot print is in there. Lock her up. Um, 
Yeah, those are my predictions. Okay. Carol, do you have any predictions for the finale? Sold under sin. It seems like... Uh... Well, you don't have to get stuck on the title. You can just think yeah. of where stories may end up. Uh... Right. Well, I think Elma's father's going to try and sell her out. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to. I think he's going to be... I think Seth and, and Alma and all are going to foil his plans. Uh, I don't think she's going to kill him, but it just occurred to me that that would be something that could happen. The magistrate thing, I think, will go till next season. But Eddie, I, I'm pretty sure Eddie's going to get caught. It, it might go to next season, but I could see him getting caught. But for some reason, I just don't think he's going to die right away. But He's going to be pig food. Hmm? He's, He's going to be, be pig, pig food. food. Oh, I don't want Eddie to be pig food. I want him to be around for a while. Uh, I think he's... He's, he's going to get caught. He's going to come to a bad end. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to be around for long, I don't think. <clears throat> you know, when you were saying about Sai needs to die, it's like, it's Sai can't die, unfortunately. No, I know, because he's the baddie. He's going to... Well, because Al's got to have somebody threaten him, you know. Yeah, and if they get rid of him, they need someone new, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to see Psy go in many ways. But... I know. Is Calamity Jane going to come back? Oh. I'd love to see her come back this episode, but, you know, I don't think so. Is she gone for so. good? No. I don't think so. Yeah, I come back. Mel, do you have any predictions? Not really. You gotta throw something out there just so you have the possibility of having a point. I know. Just throw one instance of one storyline. I think. Where do you think it's going? Let me think about it. Where's the Seth Alma thing going? Mm, well, they're obviously going to do it. Next episode? Yeah, sure. No. And then his and then his family's going to show up and he's going to break it off. So his family's going to show up while he's having sex. <laughs> it's like, kind of like a karma thing. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna walk in on, yeah, gonna walk on in. him, and, and they're gonna be like, "What is going on?" I, and they're gonna be like, "I, I we just shot. no, wait, it's gonna be his wife. We just came child. for this. Yeah, it's gonna be his wife and kid that walks in, and almost fam- family walk in all at the same time, and they're like, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> very like it's gonna be the most awkward cliffhanger you've ever seen. <laughs> it ends right there. Yeah, it ends right there. <laughs> that's that's the most awkward." And then, uh, and then they're gonna, uh, Alma's family is gonna sell her off because she was sinning. They're gonna sell her to a brothel somewhere. <laughs> and you can't sell Seth though, because he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's how things work back then. They're gonna dress him as a woman and then sell him. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Alright. What about uh, body counts? The season finale. Think it's going to be more than zero? Two. Two? One. Okay. Huh? One. Mel? Go for three. I'm going for three. <laughs> wow. If go, I'm wrong? Go big or go home. If I'm wrong, it's it's your fault. And I'll move up to the top of your <laughs> most... Uh, yes. The, this list is not static. Yeah. Top of the kill list. That's right. Well, we will find out in two weeks when we cover the season finale sold under sin. Our guest for the episode is Ina, the lovely Ina. Woohoo! Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a delight to be here. 
do you have any projects on the interwebs in which you would like to promote? Uh, yes, funny you should say that. I have down below a Babylon 5 intro cast, kind of like this, but for Babylon 5. Uh, there's What We Make that I do with Matt for all things Terminator. And also there's the Sensate podcast for the new show, Sensate. Very good. Why is it called Down Below? Because that's an area of the station where all the kind of rough, shady people live. Is that where the brothels habitate. are? <laughs> they had brothels. They probably would be in Down Below. Do they have pigs that eat people? No, but they do have space pigs. Uh, they do have aliens that eat uh, that are carrion eaters. Since close enough. <laughs> oh, that's right. I've forgotten about that. Hmm. So a couple nice. weeks ago, I almost hit a vulture because it was in the street. Eating, uh, eating some kind of carcass. What? Yeah, I almost hit a some kind of bird eating a squirrel the other day. <laughs> How far along are you on your Babylon Five podcast? We are close to the end of season. Well, we're about episode sixteen of season three, so a little over halfway. Okay. Very good. Anyone guested on any podcast lately? They want to talk about. Nope. Not. Nope. We're always on Defenders Podcast. Well, we'll be on uh, The X-Files, Intro to X. Matt and I will be talking about uh, Field Trip, which is an awesome episode. Opinion spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be on with you uh, in Season 7, Matt. Hey. Yep, we will be. That was my number one pick. That was my number two pick. I don't know anything about it. I just... Well, I think I read the description, so I guess I did know something about it a few days ago, <laughs> but I've forgotten <laughs> it already. As usual, you can find us on hooplecast.com, Twitter at hooplecast. Go onto the Facebook page, search for us, find us, join us, join our discussion threads. It's good times. And go on iTunes and leave a five-star review. <laughs> Nothing less than five. Don't be a don't be a jackass and leave less than five stars. Why would you do that? Yeah. Life's too short for that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, have a uh, great rest of your day or evening, listener. Goodbye. What about us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your co-hosts. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm talking directly <laughs> to my uh, to my to my listener, dear listener. <laughs> That's it. You're number one on my list, man. <laughs> wow, I'm worse than Cy Tolliver. Yeah. <laughs> don't even care enough. You don't even wish me good day. Yeah, you don't even wish me uh. good day? Whatever. <laughs> now you die. Oh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a hell of a way to treat a white man. I'm going <laughs> to turn you into bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.
One day, Mr. Snake decided to bake himself a hoe cake. He gathered some dry sticks lying about his doorstep and built up a fine fire in his kitchen stove. He took his little black kettle off the shelf and carried it down to the spring. He filled it with clear, fresh spring water. When he returned to the house, he saw that the fire was burning brightly and so put the kettle on the stove to boil. Next, he measured out some meal and beat up a couple of eggs. By this time, the kettle was boiling, and Mr. Snake mixed up the finest little hoe-cake you ever saw. He turned it out on the tiny griddle and was very careful to turn it over just when the underside was a beautiful golden yellow. When it was done, he took it up ever so carefully so as to not crack even the edges and place it right in the middle of his best blue and white dish and set it on the windowsill to cool. Mr. Snake was so proud of himself to turn out such a handsome hoe-cake that he looked at it first with his head on one side and then on the other. And I did it all without hands. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he has a tiny griddle. <laughs> I should have said a tiny little griddle. <laughs> <coughs> all right. All right, all right Mr. Snake. <laughs> Mr. Snape, what? <laughs> um, my mercy me, I don't believe it is safe to leave this hoe cake here on the windowsill without someone to watch it. There certainly is a thief in this neighborhood. My red flannel muffler was stolen the... <laughs> what? I don't... What the heck? My red flannel muffler was stolen off the line last week and I have suffered from sore throat ever since. My best hat was taken right off the porch the minute my back was turned. Who knows but that same thief is not this minute hiding in my garden, waiting for a chance to make off with this hoe cake. <laughs> Mr. Snake poked his head out of the window and spied old Mr. Frog propped up against a giant toadstool smoking his pipe. The very person, the very person to mind my hoe cake. Old Mr. Frog is always ready to do a good turn. Mr. Snake called out of the window. Old Mr. Frog? Old Mr. Frog, how would you like a hot... <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> old Mr. Frog? Old Mr. Frog, how would you like a piece of hot hoe cake right out of the oven? Old Mr. Frog hobbled over on his cane. 
He looked hard at the crisp, crinkly, crusty hoe cake and said, Mr. Snake, I like that right much. <laughs> Very well. You mind that hoe cake while I take 40 winks. Old Mr. Frog sat down on the front steps of Mr. Snake's house and fanned himself with his palm leaf fan, but he kept his eye on the hoe cake. He could look through the open door at the side window. Presently, he heard Mr. Snake snoring away as he slept in his comfortable armchair. Snakes don't have arms. <laughs> I made a cake. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, old Mr. Frog shut his eyes. His fan went slower and slower, slower and slower, until pretty soon it stopped moving altogether. Old Mr. Frog was asleep. Or dead. <laughs> went a dry twig down in Mr. Snake's garden. Slowly and silently up the path stole Lazy Liza Lizard. She peeped up over the top of a young cabbage head. Nothing was to be seen of Mr. Snake, so she scuttled over to the back porch. The hot smell of fresh baking filled the air. She sniffed. <laughs> and looked about with greedy eyes. There was nothing to be seen there, so she scampered back to the grape arbor and took a look at the side of Mr. Snake's house. There, on the windowsill, she spied the blue dish. I thought I was not mistaken. Mr. Snake has finished his Saturday bacon. I wonder what it is. I wish I could see. <laughs> Lazy Liza Why Lizard. Why do we all have southern accents? <laughs> I don't know. It's great. I love it. Deadwood. It's I'm dead. changing my accent. Yeah, me too. Aw, uh, halfway through. <laughs> have to redo your first line. <laughs> uh, Lazy Liza Lizard looked back over her shoulder and saw a big tree that shaded Mr. Snake's house. She scuttled over and climbed up the trunk and out on the tip end of a long branch. There she could look right down on the windowsill. A hoe cake, it shows my tails on straight. <laughs> <laughs> a sizable one, too. It would last me two whole days. Well, what luck. Now, if Mr. Snake had taken my advice and left his boards rough instead of smoothing them out and painting them all with that sticky yellow paint he's always bragging about, I could climb up there and get that hoe cake, blue and white dish and all. I hope Mr. Snake falls on his own paint pot. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy Liza Lizard sat with the corners of her mouth drawn down, scowling at Mr. Snake's window, looking as cross as ever a bad-tempered lizard could look. Suddenly, she scrambled down out of the tree. She ran around the corner of the house. There she began to tug at a ladder which Mr. Snake had hidden among the bushes. She struggled and tugged, tugged and struggled, and finally dragged it over the grass to the window. She stood and listened, but heard not a sound. Mr. Snake is not at home, smiled Lazy Liza Lizard to herself. <laughs> <laughs> Placing the ladder carefully against the window ledge, she began to climb. Step by step she went, not making a sound. She seized the dish and then peeped over into Mr. Snake's living room. Gripping the dish tightly, she scrambled down the ladder. As she leaped from the last rung, the ladder fell with a mighty crash among the cabbages. Crikey! Old <laughs> Mr. Frog woke with a start. 
He looked at the windowsill. The whole cake was gone! He looked at Mr. Snake. Mr. Snake slept on. Old Mr. Frog snatched up his cane and hobbled around the side of the house. Nothing was to be seen of the hoe cake or the blue and white dish. The latter lay upon the ground. Old Mr. Frog took his glasses out of his pocket and looked down. There, in the mud, were funny little tracks. Old Mr. Frog nodded his head wisely. I thought so, I thought so. Lazy lies of lizard, lazy lies of lizard. Now we shall see who is the smarter, lazy lies of lizard from old Mr. Frog. Old Mr. Frog knows how to play a trick, too. If I can only get to her house before she does, she won't dare swim across the creek with that hoe cake. She'll have to run all the way around and cross the bridge. Wait, sorry. She'll have to run all the way around and cross by the bridge. We shall see. We shall see. Oh, Mr. Frog can play a little joke, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You get all the acting awards, Will. Sorry, I love, I love that old Mr. Frog just like he's like an old like I know people like this. They what? talk to themselves. And just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hurriedly, old Mr. Frog set out down the little path. He swam across the little creek and hobbled down the path onto the other side. Soon he came to the cave which was Lazy Liza Lizard's home. He peeped inside. She had not returned. Mr. Frog went in and climbed away up to the top of a huge flat rock, which helped to form the roof of the cave. There he waited. If he peeped over the edge, Mr. Frog could see the tiny table and cook stove. No sunshine could get into the cave. It was filled with dark shadows. Everything was very quiet. And old Mr. Frog lay very still. Finally, <laughs> he heard <laughs> he heard footsteps running up to the door. It was Lazy Liza Lizard. She came in and set Mr. Snake's hoe-cake upon the table. She pulled up a big chair, sat down, and fanned herself with her little apron. Suddenly... From up somewhere above, in the dark roof, came a deep voice saying, <laughs> <laughs> Snake baked the hoe cake, set the frog to mind it. Frog fell asleep, and lizard came and stole it. Snake baked the hoe cake, set the frog to mind it. Frog fell asleep, and lizard came and stole it. Lazy Liza Lizard stared up at the roof, but it was too dark to see in the shadows. What? She peered. All around the room. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any lines. So I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> Where'd that voice come from? <laughs> she, peered all, she peered all around the room. Still, she could see no one. The deep voice went on. One more Snake. time, Will. This one, this one has to be more menacing. <laughs> Snake. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> don't, hurt, don't hurt yourself. Got a frog, frog in my throat. Yes. Give me some bump. Snake baked the hoe cake, set the frog to mind it. Frog fell asleep, and lizard came and stole it. Lazy Liza Lizard trembled with fear. <laughs> her head in her little apron, the voice became deeper and angrier. This time it said, Snake, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Snake baked the hoe cake, set the frog to mind it. <laughs> 
frog fell asleep, and lizard came and stole it. Bring back my hoe cat, you lone tail nanny. <laughs> Lazy Liza Lizard jumped out of her chair, snatched the hoe cake from the table, and ran. Old Mr. Frog scrambled down the, from the big rock, hobbled slowly out of the cave, and climbed the path to the creek. He swam across and was soon walking up the path to Mr. Snake's front door. Mr. Snake, in his armchair, was just yawning and stretching himself. He called out. Well, Mr. Frog, have you been watching that hoe cake? Old Mr. Frog nodded his head, a little out of breath. I reckon I have, Mr. Snake, I reckon I have. For there, in the window, was the hoe cake, looking for all the world as if nothing had ever happened to it. Mr. Snake brought out his bed rest and, oh no, wait, best read. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Climb in this bed with me. <laughs> Let us have some bed rest. <laughs> <laughs> I totally read it like that. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. <clears throat> best. Okay. Mr. Snake. <clears throat> Mr. Snake brought out his best red and white tablecloth, which he spread on a little round table on the front porch. Very well, Mr. Frog. You shall have your share. You shall have your share. Mr. Snake cut the hoe cake. Very, very carefully, he passed it to Mr. Frog. Old Mr. Frog took his half of the hoe cake. Thank you, Mr. Snake, said old Mr. Frog contentedly. You are very welcome, returned Mr. Snake politely. Old Mr. Frog sat at one side of the table, and Mr. Snake at the other. The sun shone hot, and everything was still. Mr. Snake and old Mr. Frog ate the hoe cake, but said nothing. They were both thinking it was a very nice party. And it, Lazy Liza Lizard died of starvation. It was a very nice party. <laughs> Stop interrupting the narrator, Matt. <laughs> it was. But you know what? It would have been nice to invite the lizard. I mean, she, so, she only stole it because she was hungry and she needed friends. This is a story about poverty. <laughs> 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 and about helping your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, what have you guys learned about this? Like, what have I, that's what I've learned. What's the lesson here? Yeah, yeah. The lesson here is that people may do you a wrong, they may take things from you, but if they do it, it's out of, probably out of a sense of urgency, out of necessity, and maybe you should be a little more understanding and try to forgive them. Yeah. And share your fucking hoe cake. Share your fucking And also don't do accents because you're going to offend people. Uh, like all the Australians right now are just gonna refuse to listen to this. <laughs> I just realized I was my doing a Canadian accent. Oh, I'm, out. I'm out. I quit. <laughs> I just realized my Mister Snake sounds like Fra- Frank Underwood. That's true. That's true. Oh, uh, yep. That happened. That Mr. Frog watched that hoe cake like nobody's business. <laughs> Not really. No, he a hoe cake from a frog. Did he murder Li- Lazy Liza? Live- no, she- no, she got scared because she heard voices in her cave. And now she- she's like in her cave, starving to death. Oh, she, she couldn't eat that hoe cake. She has a family history of schizophrenia, and she thought Jeez. she was going crazy hearing voices. Yeah. That's a really sad story, man. It it's very sad. <laughs> I don't like Mr. Frog. <laughs> no, he's mean. That's right. What a jerk. Yeah. What a dick. Gosh. <laughs>
fun story time. It was a good story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all tucked in now, by the way. Yeah. I read myself a story. I'm tucked in. <laughs> Put yourself to sleep. That's right. Snake baked a hoe cake and set the frog to watch it. The frog fell a dozing. The lizard came and took it. Bring back my hoe cake, you long tailed nanny o. Bring back my hoe cake, you long tailed nanny o.